From Welcome Villain Films, the studio that brought you the horror hit Malum, as well as Beaten to Death and Hunter Killer, comes their newest nightmare, Mind, Body, Spirit, now available on digital. Directed by Alex Haynes and Matthew Miranda, and produced by Dan Asma, Mind, Body, Spirit follows Anya, an aspiring yoga influencer, as she embarks on a ritual practice left behind by her estranged grandmother. What starts as a spiritual self-help guide quickly evolves into something much more sinister. As Anya becomes increasingly obsessed with the mysterious power of the practice, she unwittingly unleashes an otherworldly entity that begins to take control of her life and her videos. Now, Anya must race to unlock the truth before her descent into madness threatens to consume her mind, body, and spirit. During its festival tour, which stops at Chattanooga Film Festival and the Unnamed Footage Festival, Mind, Body, Spirit garnered praise from critics who call it a found footage version of Hereditary and a knockout found footage horror movie for the live stream era. Experience the first ever yoga-themed found footage horror film and don't miss the film viewers have called extremely frightening and upsetting. Available now on digital anywhere you rent or buy movies online, including Prime Video and Apple Plus. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's the show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. In each episode, our special guest brings with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our guest is Kyle Edward Ball, whose feature film debut, Skinamarink, is now in theaters and is coming to streaming. We are so excited you're here, Kyle. How are you? Hi, thanks for having me. We're really excited to chat with you. Because uh, this was like when we first saw the film, we reached out to the uh, production company. We're like, hey, we need to get you on on the podcast at some point. And you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. When the movie comes out. And so and we were like, here we are. Well, when will that be? <laughs> Not that long, actually, <laughs> no. since Fantasia. Yeah. Yeah. Originally, it was going to be Halloween 2023. But for reasons, it uh, got expedited. <laughs> Yeah, so what has that been like? I, well, actually, hold on. We'll, let's, what is Skin the Marink about before I start asking all the questions? For our listeners who might not be familiar, can you just tell us a little bit about the movie? So Skin the Marink is a lo-fi experimental horror movie. The premise is two small children named Kevin and Kaylee, ages four to six, 
wake up one night to discover their dad is missing and the doors and windows of the house have vanished so they can't get out. So they go to the living room, put on cartoons and kind of go into like a slumber party atmosphere. And over time, it becomes evident that there is something else in the house. Yeah. Spooky. Yay. <laughs> Spooky. But so, okay, this movie kind of has been, was on the festival circuit. People are talking about it. Then lots of other things happened and it kind of went a little bit crazy and went, you know, viral as people love to say. And so what has that experience been like for you and having this like lo-fi horror film all of a sudden like capture the internet's attention so quickly it's been surreal and a roller coaster of emotions and it feels like since fantasia the roller coaster hasn't like gone down it just keeps going (laughs) it goes but it's it's like never actually on the trend chart like stopped going up like there's been dips but it's never really stopped it's been weird cool (laughs) like it's been cool like it's been positive and i feel like the luckiest filmmaker in the world and there's been parts where i like i get overwhelmed or this happens or i'm like oh it's starting to feel like a desk job blah 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 and then i remind myself like okay a few weeks ago, I had a, I've been doing a thing where it's called the water bottle tour. So it's called the water bottle tour because it used to be, you would go to all these different places like New Line Cinema, Block A24, or all these different production companies and they give you a water bottle. And <laughs> now it's all been through Zoom, right? Uh-huh. And which if you watch Curb Your Enthusiasm, if they ever go to a different company, like Larry goes to a different company, they do give him a water bottle, right? Um, I think there's an episode where it's it's a plot device in the episode. Anyways, so, yeah, because of recycling. Okay. So, anyways. <laughs> um, so, I had one the other day with A24, which was great. But it was like after doing a ton of different meetings and I was exhausted and I'm like, yeah. oh, I have to oh, have a meeting with A24. <laughs> and I have to remind myself like Kyle, n- like the Kyle, not even four months ago, like you have sweaters that you haven't washed from like the time back <laughs> where you would have been like, Kyle, <laughs> shut up. You're having a meeting with fucking A24. 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 Yeah, that's yeah. wild. Yeah, I I can only imagine because from my perspective, it was so weird because like, you know, I saw the movie, I wrote my review. And over the weeks, this review, I've I've been operating my site since uh, 2018. And this review has become my most read thing on my site in the amount of time that it's been like since Fantasia, which is so I was like, what is going on here? And that's when I started to realize that there was, you know, it had gone viral and all that other stuff is was was coming out on it. But I was like, what is going on? <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been it's, I saw you tweeted that and there was there's been a few other like smaller horror outlets who wrote reviews too who said similar stuff like there was a a podcast in Alberta who it's not a horror he's not like a horror thing he's just like hey we have the same group of friends you want to be on the podcast blah 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 and then he was like just by fluke 
the episode I was on was the most downloaded episode he had that whole year of like by like light years too, right? It's wild. That's so weird. Yeah. Like yeah. it's gonna be such a surreal experience to be like, people want to hear me talk about things. I know. It's just wild. Especially for forever. Like even when I was sending the rough cut of the movie to my friends. I was getting frustrated. Granted, when I was sending the rough cut to them, it was the holidays. So, like, they Mm. were busy. But still, I was, like, really... And they're like, I'll watch your movie eventually, Kai. Like, and now it's, like... Like, people people are so excited by by it. And it's it's weird. Good, (laughs) but weird. Oh, yeah. But I wanted to hear more about where the idea, I mean, came from. We have The Heck is the short film that, you know, this kind of was the proof of concept for on YouTube. Everyone, if you haven't seen Heck, go watch that on YouTube on Kyle's YouTube channel. But like, where we'll did put the, it in our show notes, too. So yeah. where did the kind of like the it was kind of like the impetus for this concept for you? So shades of the story had been circling in my mind for years And there was other weird things, too. Like, a big thing in horror movies is, like, how do you trap the people in the area? Oh. Right? So, The Shining is, okay, well, they're snowed in. Easy, right? Mm -hmm. And other things will be, like, oh, they're in a remote area. Or they'll be emotional. Like, Poltergeist has a really good example. Like, they send the kids to leave, but they stay in the house because they need to get Carol Ann, right? And one day, I'm like, what if I just, like got rid of the doors and windows just because and and the kids are like naive and they're they're so young that maybe they're like this is just a part of life right like this is just something <laughs> is that happens. happens who knows right so that happens and then other shades of it had had percolated People had kept commenting the same nightmare on the channel. Like, I'm a little kid. My parents are missing and there's a monster. That certainly shaded Mm. the concept. And I also wanted to do something involving really young kids because it's it's sadder when they're really little, right? Right. Uh, Yeah. Right. (laughs) When they're like... Like, college-age, air quote, kids, like, adults, like, we're almost kind of... And I I haven't seen Bodies, 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 but I think they play on this of, like, yeah, let's see him get killed, right? Like, and with little kids, you don't want to see anything bad happen to them, so I played around with that, and... Yeah. Wow. I it's 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 so wild to me, uh, because this, this movie, it taps into something very primordial, I think, in us. I... I remember when I was done with this movie, having to make like a beeline to my my bedroom from the basement all the way up to the the second floor and just being like, uh, this thing is really dark and it's kind of creepy. And I'm I'm curious, uh, how did the the kids are fantastic in this, you know, a lot of the attention is off of them with the camera, but how did, um, how did you find these, these, uh, the, the kids that played the. Well, the, the children. They were great. So here was how basically the casting was done was while we were still crowdfunding, I we put out a call for here's what we're casting, kids mm-hmm. this age, grownups this age, right? Uh, the woman who played the mom was the first person to reach out. She contacted me right away. I did a little Zoom audition. I'm like, you're Perfect. And uh, just fun fact about the woman who plays the mom, Jamie Hill, she sounds exactly 
And I want to emphasize this exactly like Sarah Silverman. Like there was times where I was editing oh it God. where I had to like play, even directing her. I'm like, you, you gotta slow down because it's eerie. She sounds, she is Sarah <laughs> And Sarah Silverman is funny. Yes. And so. You don't hear it that much in the movie. Part of that was like I did stuff to alter her voice. But regardless, then she said, uh, after I hired her, she's like, okay, so I have this friend, Ross. He would, I know, wants to audition for the dad and conveniently has a son who has been in like, uh, I think he was in a commercial for recycling. Um, and I'm like, oh, perfect kid with acting experience, air quote, done. So I auditioned him and the son. And when I say I auditioned the son, like, I'm like, yeah, that's a kid. Good enough. Right. And then for a while, I'm like, okay, who's going to play Kaylee? And cause no one had reached out to me for the role of Kaylee. And then by fluke, my friend Emma messaged me and she's like, oh, how's the crowdfund going? I'm like, it's going good, blah, blah, blah. And then I thought about it. I'm like, wait, Emma's kid is about, what, seven? <laughs> and then I'm like, hey, do you think Dolly would, can I use your kid? And she's like, oh, yeah, sure. She already likes horror movies. Like, like her daughter's seen like Carrie and other stuff. I'm like, awesome. So then um, we got to the day of shooting and I was nervous about directing kids. Right. But I had also psyched myself up in my mind of, okay, everyone says it's so difficult and it is. But if you plan for it, if you're smart about it, human about it, like don't do a long shooting day because it's on top of being unethical impossible to get a kid to walk work a traditional film set day so we had scheduled it okay we're gonna not even do a full half day of just having them in front of the camera then like maybe an hour at the most of them recording all their dialogue we'll do all their dialogue post so that we don't have to worry about them doing the same line in front of yeah. camera over and over again oh. we we did all this stuff to make it as kid friendly as possible and on top of that, we had done other stuff like um, don't talk down to them, right? Just be nice. Just, okay, we didn't want to overwhelm them. So I didn't say, okay, they have to read the full script because that's even impossible too. I just briefly said, okay, so this is a scary movie. There's a monster. Um, you kids don't have to pretend to be scared on camera, but you will have to pretend to be scared in front of microphone. We'll come to that bridge when we get it. The first shot we do, which is the first shot in the movie of them, the two in the hallway at the beginning of the movie, mm -hmm. um, I was showing Lucas how to operate or hold the um, tape recorder. And so I said, action. They just did the scene. Like, they just did it. And I was like, cut. And I was like, oh, this is easy. And all the, <laughs> the like anxiety melted off of me. And then it was like, bang, 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 done. And it's like, okay, we'll take a break and then we'll do the, the dialogue. And then wow. we did the dialogue. And the way I did the dialogue was I, I just gave them line readings because they're not method or anything, right? They're <laughs> right. not going to be like, don't give me a line read. So. <laughs> 
I'm just like, okay, in this scene, can you say this? Can you say, and they would say it back. And that's how we did it. Wow. Yeah. How, how yeah. long did it take to shoot it? The, so we shot it eight days. Well, okay. Seven days, eight days, if you count the camera test, but really it was seven days. Mm. And the camera test, like we didn't have cr- like cast or anything. It was just me and my DOP, Jamie McRae. Um, so really it was seven days. The first day it was just the kids, uh, camera, the kids audio. The dad's camera, the dad's audio, that's it. Then day two and three, no cast on set, just us filming, ceiling, POV, blah, blah, blah. Day four, we had like a half or not even a half, like a quarter day of Jamie Hill, who plays the mom, doing camera and dialogue. Then the rest of that day, back to like filming whatever. And the thing is, a lot of those days, we're not just filming hallways on top of that we're doing pov shots which some of them are surprisingly difficult like Mm -hmm. the scene of us going up the stairs at the end we did like 20 takes of that every other shot was like one or two takes but because it's hard because the camera shakes i wanted it to go a certain way there'd be stupid stuff like my dad would turn on a light downstairs by accident like there was all these (laughs) things (laughs) the rest of it though was fairly easy or other stuff too like the parts where the tv turns on and off we would have to make it play just right or stuff like the roku wouldn't work but yeah so seven days wow like the ring yeah (laughs) and so you film this in your childhood home right yeah absolutely and my parents were awesome And they were super accommodating, too. Like, initially, we were like, okay, well, we'll take down all the black wrap so you can live with with windows. And then uh, after the first day, my mom's like, you know, we can leave up all the black wrap. That's fine. But you have to, like, put my plants by this one window that we'll remove the black wrap for so that the plants don't die. And outside of that, like, they were incredibly accommodating wow just hanging out on set just yeah (laughs) that's so cool and and funny (laughs) yeah it was great the only thing we really had to reset a lot were the tvs because like we needed to like bring in modern their tvs out of frame and then back in frame which was fairly easy to do it wasn't as complicated as you think they don't have like fancy setups it's just a big like flat screen and like a little cable box which conveniently are fucking wireless and i'm like oh thank god we don't have to like rewire them right (laughs) that's so cool so the evil tv sorry just one more thing the tv that appears in the living room is a monster i hate that fucking tv (laughs) so it's fucking heavy we used Mm. it for heck and even in heck it was it was a fucking diva like we we didn't have the remote for it so and the power button broke so we had to like find a screwdriver and jam in then eventually we figured out if you unplug it and plug it back in it default turns on so perfect then it sat in my friend the heck house forever then I didn't want to use it for Skinamarink. I wanted to use a smaller tube TV. And my friend Edmund's like, well, just use that one. It is from 1995. I know it's a bit up to date for that era, but it's not 
it's not like historically inaccurate. And I'm like, fine, we'll use it. You have to schlep the thing into your friend's <laughs> car, bring it to a house, schlep it to the living room. And then every time we would plug it and plug it back in on top of default turning on, it would also go to channel three, which is mm-hmm. not the Roku channel that we had to play old cartoons. It was just static. So we would plug yeah. it back in. There'd be a second of noise followed by. Yeah, that's horrifying. If it's the vibe though, right? <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't the vibe though. It was fucking loud. Yeah, and exactly. That TV is still at my parents' house because I don't want to I was going to ask drink. what happened with Ugh. it. <laughs> It's, it's, like, still and it's there. like 500 pounds, right? It's like a boulder, right? If it's, you, like... a, it's a boulder and it's weighted all at the front. No! So you have to like, yeah. The things we do for cinema. I hate that TV. Are you going to keep and the like, TV? I, I wanted to smash it after we ask. were done. But since the movie's blown up, my friend Edmund is like, well, no, that TV's famous now. I want to keep the TV. And I'm like... You could, prob- you could probably sell it. Which sounds terrible, but someone would buy no, the shit out of that TV for real, about, though. But I, have to, but I have to run it by Edmund first, because now that TV's a celebrity. Well, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and and how, how are you going to ship that? How expensive would it be to ship it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I freight it. It'll probably be someone who lives in the city. who. And we've thought about, there's a handful of props who we thought, like, hey, we could sell this and, like, give the proceeds to charity, right? So, we'll see. Yeah. That'd be wow. so cool. I want to meet the person who eventually buys that giant TV. That'd be so funny. Like, I had the Skinnamarine uh, TV. Why? <laughs> it's so big. Where do you have space with for no that? With no remote and a broken <laughs> power button. <laughs> but I would. I also wanted to hear more about how you got into filmmaking. Like, how did you, like, you know, you have Heck, you have a lot of your awesome short films on YouTube, you have this. So what was kind of, like, the starting point for you in wanting to make films, specifically horror films? Since I was seven, I wanted to direct movies, and then I've always gravitated towards horror, so Goosebumps, Are You Afraid of the Dark were heavy influences on me. Other stuff like um, the Twilight Zone movie had a big impact on me, which if you watch... There's weird Easter eggs in the Twilight Zone movie, particularly the It's a Good Life segment directed by Joe Dante that are echoed in Skinnamarink. Other stuff like the Tales from the Dark Side movie with Debbie Harry, like... Love that movie. I know, yeah, it's so good. And then I got into horror through that, then it just sort of kept spitballing because growing up, I was a weirdo kid who didn't have any friends so watching movies became my friend and yeah and then when i was a teenager i got into like weirder kind of artsier movies like la ventura and 2001 a space odyssey and all this and yeah and then in high school i took video at victoria school of performing and visual arts which leslie nielsen also went to not at the same time And then that segued into, then I took a gap year. Then I went to film school, loved film school. Um, my DOP actually also went to the same film school with oh, me. Wow. So we were both grads of the same program. And then I took a break. Then I got into my YouTube channel. Then the rest is history. 
Wow. Hell yeah. Wow. That is amazing. Okay. But you said, you know, you've always, you started wanted to make you started to want to start filmmaking and, and at the age of seven, you loved horror. But do you remember the first horror movie you ever saw? Hmm. I don't know the first one I ever saw. I have some very early memories of in elementary school, there was a Hitchcock marathon on the CBC the weekend before back to school. And so that's when I saw Birds and Psycho, oh. and those stuck oh, with me vividly. Okay. And as far as other ones that stuck in my mind, which do you want me to wait? Because there's two that stuck in my mind that are the Scarred for Life uh tangential ones or Yeah, so um let's let's take a quick break and then um we can dig into those because I am curious about that. So we're gonna take a break, listeners. And we're back. Break. <laughs> so quick. <laughs> so, so very a, quick. Whew, but, all right. So let's let's talk about your Scarred for Life pick. So today's a little bit different where we have a couple films we've talked about before, but then a new one to throw into the mix. So Kyle, what films are we chatting about today with you for your Scarred for Life picks? Yeah. So for context, um, for the podcast, I've given a list. Like, here's our, are all the movies that are being covered. If you can think of something... That's not on the list. Do that. And I look through the list and I'm like, oh, everything that (laughs) scarred me is on this list. And (laughs) so I they said, okay. so my two picks that have already been covered are The Exorcist by William Friedkin and The Fly by Sir David. He's not a sir. David (laughs) Cronenberg. And um. Then I have my other pick, which is kind of going around the bend because it didn't scar me and I didn't see it when I was a little kid. I saw it when I was a teenager, but it had a profound effect on me. Do you want me to talk about that first? Yeah, just give me the title and then I'll read a quick synopsis and then we'll, we'll jump into chatting. It's Outer Space, a short film from, I think, 1999 mm-hmm. by a experimental filmmaker from Austria called Peter Cherkasky. I can't pronounce the name. I'm sorry. I believe that is it. But here's the super okay, synopsis perfect. of Outer Space. Um, it's footage from the entity edited into an abstract nightmare. Yeah, yeah that's very, yeah, that's so- very, very <laughs> brisk and brief. But... um. <laughs> So what this filmmaker does is it's a part of a series he did. So he takes, he basically took the a film version of the entity into his dark room, played with it for an entire year, and came out with outer space. This this short thing. So I highly recommend viewers uh, pause the podcast, go and watch it. It's easy to find it. There's a very high quality version of it on Vimeo. And we'll include that in our show notes as well, listeners, because uh, I definitely recommend watching it. It's it's that good. It's 10 minutes. So it's, just, it's, it's only a, it's, 10 it's minutes. It's a quick time commitment. And it's really it's Although I will, I will add photosensitivity warnings because there is a <laughs> yeah, lot of strobe light effects. So I would – I watched – the first time I watched it last night was in the, the dark and I was like, ooh, this is – I'm not photosensitive, but this was a lot. So I will throw that warning out there. It's like, uh, it's almost, 
you all, it, it might as well be called photosensitivity warning because it's just uh-huh. so just to describe how I don't know how I found it when I was younger. I, I swear I was probably just Googling experimental videos, <laughs> experimental cinema and YouTube was a thing. I'm pretty sure was a thing at this. Mm. Well, the Internet was definitely a thing and I found it somehow. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, what's this, right? And so I started watching it, and it starts out just kind of flickering. Then the flickering becomes a house. Then from the flickering of the house, you hear a soundtrack. You get shades of, okay, this appears to be a movie, but tilted and grittied and stuttered and glitched and then you see a woman enter a house you hear her say someone something to someone off camera and you just get little pieces of everything so you don't quite hear what she says you don't hear quite what he says it sounds like she's talking to her kid and she says sure and then you see her enter a room but it's all just played and cut up and as a teenager, I this completely changed my idea of what movies could be and what mm. I could be as a filmmaker and what the future of cinema could be. So that movies aren't just a story, aren't just an experiment. They can be an experience. Mm. So it's it's almost this photochemical almost beats in the way a song has beats and feelings and emotions. A movie can be the same thing. It can be a, like a song that is 10 minutes and ha- uh, gives you feelings, a, a animalistic feeling, right? And that's outer space to a T. It's just feelings and power and emotions and images and animal. It's, there's this one amazing part of it where we see the woman, we see all the shit happen. Static. And then there's this brief moment of almost, almost the clearest part of the movie where all the shit stops. Yeah. You see the woman scream, grab something and start like beating the camera with it and screaming. And you see it just repeat and reverb and it's, Oh, I've seen it maybe 50 times. One time wow. I was watching it, my mom came into the TV room and was like, what is this? What is, <laughs> what is this? I think, I think I had smoked something and she could smell that I smoked something. And, and was you're like, like, I'm fine. Tro- Don't look at me. <laughs> she was troll. She was a hundred percent fucking trolling me. Like, <laughs> What is that, right? Like, uh, well, what a picture! It's, I mean, it's uh, only ten minutes long, but it's incredible. And so, it also reminds me of a newer film. It's called The Timekeepers of Eternity, where someone did a very similar treatment to the um, uh, the Langoliers, I believe, the Stephen oh, King oh, movie. No. It's really cool. Um, I'm sorry, that you're screaming. Nuts. It's really, really awesome, and I think that it. It is 100% inspired by 
this director because it's very similar oh, in terms of how I gotta cook. see this now. It's really good. So I don't want to. It played at what Fantasia? It, it was at Fantasia. Played, I think. It played at a ton of festivals. I saw it at a festival. It hasn't come out wide yet, but basically the guy took every frame of the Langoliers and made a whole new movie and told like a totally different oh, story wow. and like ripped apart the pages. Mm-hmm. And this is very much. This is very similar because you I mean you even see like you know the edges of the film of the film reel like of the um the film you see the like the slots yeah. yeah thank you I was oh, like you know the just holes. like in outer space yeah <laughs> and it's just it's so interesting because in reading his bi- his bio it says he only works in found footage and as we all know I'm a found footage freakazoid and this is such a cool example of found footage filmmaking but done in such a different way like not filmed but you're taking footage that you have found and reworking it into something. Horrific. I mean, the entity is already a fucking terrifying movie. Yeah, Barbara Hershey a- is queen. Yes, we watched yes. it for the podcast, and I like had avoided it for a while because I was like, I don't know if I want to watch a movie about a woman getting raped by a ghost for an hour and a half. Yeah, and, it's, it's really good, but it's when I saw that this was based, like it was from that, I was like, oh no, and it's a nightmare, and it's like a well done yeah. nightmare, but it it takes all the anxiety of that. And if anyone's gonna pull off that role tastefully it's gonna be barbara hershey oh she's yeah. so good in that movie but it's just, you, yeah sorry i'm sorry no i was just curious if you had you seen the entity at all when when you saw I this or seen it i still haven't seen it oh you still no haven't way! seen it yeah oh. is it because you've watched the short so many times and you don't want to know the actual movies if you don't want to watch the actual maybe <laughs> May, like it's always been on my list for a while but now that i'm thinking Maybe I shouldn't see it. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't know. I. I. I will see it eventually because I. I do kind of want to see the scenes that he took from the entity, and he also has another one that is harder to find online as as like a follow up piece to outer space called. I forget what it's called, but it takes other scenes from the entity and plays with it even more in a weird way. And that one even goes weirder. There's like a one minute segment where it's just black and white and like this audio loop going, huh? It's, 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 uh, a mess. Yeah. And if you get high beforehand, that 10 minutes becomes 45 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like it. Honestly, had, and that's fine. That is, yeah. I I had never heard of this before. I'd never heard of the filmmaker before, so I was like, "What is this?" So I I, I always go on like a deep dive if I've never heard of anything. So I'm, I was curious about this, and I, you kind of you mentioned this a little bit, but I did find um, an explanation that uh, that um, what is this? why can't I think of his name? Peter. That Peter says he does he says he places a strip of unexposed 35 millimeter film on a piece of cardboard that measures 15 by 100 centimeters the film strip itself equals 48 frames in length which comes to two seconds of projection time the raw stock i use is orthochromatic since it is desensitized to red light he can work in a dark room and he just he goes through like this whole long process of like nailing things down and holding it in one frame at a place where they, and then he would copy the frown footage into the raw material by exposing it to light. And he was talking about making optical collages and that parts of outer space include up to five multiple exposures on laid on top of each other. And that's just, that's wild to me. And as a, when I saw it as a teenager, a lot of 
There's a lot of amazing experimental cinema, but there's a lot of very pretentious, boring shit. And this completely opened my eyes because it's, it's not pretentious. It's not, oh, like it's the way you describe it. It's like, okay, well, I've seen that where the artist is like, I like to do this and the day, yeah, process. And it's not that at all. It's like such fucking power and cool it's the it's like it's the cool maybe the coolest short i would say the coolest short film ever made it's just so fucking balls to the wall yeah and so when i was looking at 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 what his what he does with his work he did describe it as an ongoing attempt to create a kind of meta cinema that invites the viewer to consider the building blocks of the medium and that is a statement that could sound really pretentious but if you watch the short it is literally what he does i love that that we we takes the film stock he creates images that it almost seems as if instead of it like re- recontextualizes the entire entity as like a film that is about film that is actually actively attacking her it seems like in mm-hmm. some points because she you mentioned the part where it kind of everything clears and she grabs like i think it's a vase and starts attacking the camera itself. i think it's it, a coat hanger is it a coat hanger yeah, oh, it's so fucking cool. She goes up to the window, smashes, blah, 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 and she, ah, uh, it's it's, uh, it's just awesome. it's just super cool that he takes this idea of um, an entity attacking a woman in a film, and then makes it as if we're kind of looking at the film itself attacking her, and it's just it's such a a fascinating way of recontextualizing that entire movie. What's funny is that I did find that apparently he claims that he chose to rework the entity based solely upon its plot summary An invisible force sexually terrorizes a woman in her California ranch house. And he talked about carefully studying the VHS tape of the film, searching for significant details. He memorized the structure of the film and then composed a new narrative based on the notion of the film material, integrating itself into the narrative, attacking the protagonist and it's it, you have that's to be so cool man so that's smart really cool. and like god that's awesome <laughs> i just and like edgy teenage kyle edgelord teenage <laughs> kyle was like i'm gonna be that one day i'm gonna take cinema i'm gonna shake i'm gonna i'm gonna take the the pillars of cinema and fucking blow it i'm gonna be like spooky john waters John Water, like, like Look, that was. I'm not like trying to blow was, yeah. smoke up your ass, but like you're doing some cool stuff. Like you, I Thank think you. in watching this and seeing Skinnamarink, like Terry and I were talking, we we're like, oh my god, like we can totally see why this movie was so influential on Kyle. Like we can see where maybe you saw, like, oh, I can just fuck with form however I want. Like film form doesn't have to be one thing. It can be so many yeah. other different things. So it's really cool to see this short watching Skinnamarink and kind of seeing really how much you were influenced by it. Yeah. There's even like, there's one or two, I don't want to spoil it, but there's one or two parts in the movie. Cause I didn't, I didn't want to do this too much where it's like, Oh, I'm playing with like the actual medium as far as, this and that but there's two parts in it where we do see literal tone and light like like in in outer space and if you blink you actually kind of miss them but yeah wow oh it's so cool it's like a panic attack in a movie i will say like it feels like how panic attacks feel and yeah that's terrifying 
as someone who has a lot of panic attacks or has dealt with panic attacks a lot. It's crazy to see when people can capture that. And like um, being able to capture that emotion, especially in reworking another movie is really fascinating as well. Like it's, it's a really a cool, a really cool and terrifying, but refreshing emotional experience. <laughs> I just, lo- I just love, I, I almost watch it in the same way you would listen, listen to the same song over and over mm. again. Cause you like, like first uh-huh. time I heard dancing on my own by Robin, I downloaded it and listened to it over and over and over. And cause it's such a fucking good song. And I did the same with Outer Space. I just kept watching it over and over and over again. Wow. Yeah. The thing that jumped out at me immediately when I was watching this is, um, so I'm a huge Nine Inch Nails fan. And there is this music video for Come Came Back Haunted that is a music video that David Lynch did. And it's very much like a bunch of static images interspliced with like footage and stuff like that. But the feel of that short film from like, I don't know, I don't even know when it was early, maybe mid to 20 aughts, summertime. It was after this is my point, but it feels like that, that, that music video has some elements that reminded me very much of outer space. And it's so weird to think that we have an artist like Lynch who I, I would say that this, this outer space kind of feels a little Lynchian in the way that it kind of uses imagery and sound to like tell a different story. But then it also seems to me weird to me that I'm watching this music video and I'm thinking this reminds me so much of outer space. And I'm curious if that, you know, influenced him. Cause it's just, there's a lot going yeah. on. Can I say, so weird coincidences and things. So I think while she was still pregnant with me or when I was, I don't know. My mom really got into twin peaks Mm. and she so i don't think she's seen she's not like a lynch fan but she's seen mulholland drive and liked it right like and so it's weird how she got into david lynch and then another weird thing this has nothing to do with outer space but my mom's turn term for like a weird movie that is odd but you kind of like is oh the movie's very outer space right but she means it in terms of like oh it's it's heady it's baba it's good right. but it's oh it's it's very quote outer space like i think she called salem's lot at one she's like oh it's it's outer space but it, it's good like i don't know <laughs> So did when you saw this, did it lead you down to track down more of Peter's work? Have you seen a lot of his stuff? Yeah, or? I saw that that uh, that companion because he has a trilogy. I think it's called the Cinemascope trilogy. Yeah, and it's outer space. It's this other one he did Le- of the Arrive? entity, and, and then yeah, Dreamwork. Dreamwork. That's the other one. Dreamwork is it. That's that's. That's the other one. I I I swear I rewatched Dreamwork a bunch too. Outer Space is is king, but Dreamwork is awesome too. And then he did another one where it's clips from a western that he took and and played around with. And yeah, he did it with erotic films too. The exquisite corpse. It's not exquisite corpse, but corpus. The exquisite corpus. He also did it with um 
erotic films and ads. I haven't seen those. I don't know if I've seen those ones. That's cool. Yeah, I was just do- I was just looking at all of his stuff and curious his about it. His stuff is very, yeah. like, it plays... It's not so much festival-y. Like, it, it has played at festivals, but a lot of his stuff has played in, like, art galleries. I was going to say, right? this is like you go to yeah. an art gallery and see it playing on a wall. And, like, you sit and watch yeah. it. Like, that's the kind of... Which is, Which is kind cool. of an, an affront because I feel like this demands either a theatrical or at home lights off sound up yep. experience. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. So we also talked about two other movies that had scarred you for life, which were The Exorcist and The Fly. So yeah. I would love to hear your scarred for life stories for both, but maybe we'll start with The Exorcist just because everyone is so very familiar with that title. <laughs> Absolutely. So I remember, remember A&E used to be a smart people channel? Yep. Oh, yes. And oh, yes. <laughs> my mom really, ha- she had it on all the time growing up. And I remember one weekend, I couldn't have been more than six or seven. The Exorcist, the made, the edited for TV version of The Exorcist was on, and I caught a glimpse of it. And, uh, I think it was, uh, I don't even remember what part, but I'm just like, no, no. And I left. And then, my mom and dad told me about The Exorcist and how it was the scariest movie ever made. Right. A movie so scary that people couldn't sit through. They fainted. And that just revert, like the idea that a movie could achieve a status in the same way that like it was almost like it brought a quantifiability to a movie outside of the boring stuff like oh it made a box office amount or this or that a movie could achieve this is the scariest no other Mm -hmm. movie is as scary as this and that always stuck with me of oh you could you could quantify something you as a filmmaker could aspire to achieve that or Mm -hmm. succeed that okay right and also, outside of the intellectual of that, that vision stuck with me so much. Like, just that little glimpse of the movie, I found... So- I'm pretty sure it was the, the head-spinning scene. Ah. The first <laughs> yeah. the first head-spinning scene where, yeah, she turns and she says, you, you know what she did, your cunting daughter? Which I'm pretty sure was augmented for A&E, but regardless... That just stuck with me so much. And as a kid who wasn't quite raised with religion, mm. I was still afraid of the devil just because of that, right? Wow. And okay. I obsessed okay. about, yeah, I wasn't raised with, I wasn't, I didn't have a, like my mom was raised Christian, but she didn't really raise us in Christian. Like we were basically okay. raised irreligious. Okay. Like we did have copies of the Bibles. In my house, but like we weren't right. We were like a Christmas, St. Okay. Patrick's Day, whatever kind of Christian, but the devil really scared me and I kept talking about it. And then one day my mom sat me down and she's like, okay, Kyle, I don't know if the devil's real. If the devil is real and he comes to get us, don't worry. Cause mommy and daddy will protect you from him. That's like too wow. much. <laughs> just that's, beca- that's so, just that's because wild. of the exorcist. Did it work? Yeah. Once she said that it, it, and I almost felt stupid after she said that. I'm like, Kyle, you're, you're, you're seven years old now. Enough <laughs> of this 
nonsense. Enough with this devil fear. <laughs> this devil fear nonsense. Yeah. Meanwhile, like full grown away. adults are still terrified of the devil. <laughs> like very. I remember. Real. I remember after it, we went on like a family trip, like a vacation where you go to a hotel and then you go see family in Saskatchewan or BC. Blah blah blah. I don't know, but we stayed in a hotel room, and I remember. It was either early morning or morning or late at night, just the blinds and a chair and that sticking with me and thinking, is the devil there? Which is such a weird thing. Feels like I'm in the psychiatrist chair right now. I don't know. <laughs> You're like, yes, yeah. tell, me, tell me more about the devil you saw, the chair and the blinds. What does this represent then, for you? <laughs> I don't think I saw it the actual movie in full till I was maybe 14 and remember being a tad disappointed but not that disappointed there's like, a lot of talking still... there's a lot of like talking and like a lot of like religious crises going on that like are not scary whatsoever well I mean I guess it could be scary Here's to some thing, people though. it could be scary because I guess you were scared of the devil and he's talking about that but but here's why that movie is so beautiful so I like movies like The Conjuring don't get me wrong but there are parts in it that I feel as a non-religious person a little eye-rolly. And The Exorcist is so grown up, so smart, so elegant. If you take any scene in the bedroom, with the exception of the stairwell scene, out of the movie, it's a movie about a mother whose daughter is sick and a priest who, who talks her through it and visits the sick daughter. It's that perfect 70s hyper realism elegance like grown up yeah. matter of factness approach to like the scene where she meets um the priest for the first time and he's like uh, something o'neill and she's like please go away because she thinks he wants an autograph because she's an actress blah, blah blah and they have this very matter of fact very realistic discussion that echoes very matter of fact discussions that grown-ups have right is that mm -hmm. the scene where she has the black eye and he recognizes her and yeah she's like, yeah please don't please talk go to me away. and yeah. then she like reveals that like her fucking kid punched her in the face it was her Reagan kid kid punched her in the yeah. face and like that part especially as i've gotten older that scene is so scary because one i mean like like you're saying it could it could easily be discussed as like a domestic violence situation or something like yeah. again like a drama it's not like the devil is in this child it's like i am in a situation where i need help and like i don't know where else to turn and i actually hadn't it thought almost, about it like that movie like that yeah to be perfectly honest. there was cool. two movies i felt that reinvented horror in that era five years apart the first was night of the living dead right mm -hmm. so yeah enough yeah, yeah. of a beautiful woman in a castle horror that's done Night of the Living Dead, right? This is going to be horror from now on. Matter of fact, Vietnam, blah, blah, blah. And then 1973, um, The Exorcist. This is what horror is going to be in the 70s. It's going to be movies like The French Connection, right? Mm -hmm. Grown up, matter of fact. This is the new horror. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, I, I love, I love when people talk. This is um, our third time that we've talked about The Exorcist on the podcast. And we just, I recently rewatched it. Uh, back in December for a recording. And I'm not a huge fan of this movie. I'm going to be perfectly honest. That's but, fine. But every single time I watch it, I find myself more drawn to the, the dramatic parts. Like you were talking about cutting out all the 
the creepy supernatural stuff and it's just a drama. And that is, and that is what it kind of pulled me in more as an adult than, than the idea of like the scariest movie ever. It just always stuck with me. And I had a conversation when I was about 24, 25 with my boyfriend, who's still my boyfriend and just Aww. showed me that he got pizza. Ooh, but, delicious. Um, <laughs> but from a place that I'm not familiar with. So we'll see. But ooh, ooh, a gamble, we were a gamble. having, we were having smokes on the apartment steps. I don't smoke anymore. Nicorette. But where I, I told him the same thing of as a kid, the idea of the exorcist and as a filmmaker growing up was something that felt so aspirational. Mm-hmm. And he said, I hear what you're saying, but that was just such a phenomenon of that time that I don't know if movies do anymore, right? Because the monoculture is gone and this and mm-hmm. that. And maybe they, they don't. Like people have brought up Skinnamarine Galvao. It's this viral online horror phenomenon, but it's certainly never going to be the exorcist because the exorcist was when we had one culture and a movie could change that one culture. Yeah. It's true. Well, like- sorry. I'm like, just like that. I never, I have never thought about the exorcist like that. And like that context for the seventies versus now, like, that is yeah. so fascinating because, like you're saying, we don't have, like, because of the like digital age, I feel like it's so much harder for something like that, like a movie, to have such a huge cultural, mo- especially with horror, you know? Like, yeah. I feel like we have, we still have those movies. Superhero movies. It's <laughs> like, like the only, oh, the only thing I can but, think of. But even that, even that, like, so my mom... Her mom definitely knew about The Exorcist when it came out, right? Versus now, my mom doesn't know about Get Out or Us or Nope. And she's oh. not anti-horror. Like, if horror's on, she'll she'll watch it, right? She's seen The Babadook. She's seen The Snowtown Murders. That was an example of, um, I brought oh. it up to her and she said, oh, I actually saw that. And Wait, it, that movie? Yeah. That movie is awesome. I know. Oh my god. I've never seen it. Because it has a synopsis where you don't know it's horror. This is true crime, right? Yeah, it's a serial it's based on a serial killer thing, Terry, in Australia. It's like it's fucked up. Australia. Straight no Same with the Babadook. But um <laughs> the big Zeitgeist horror movie of the last little while after the Babadook. I would say as far as breaking mainstream culture was probably get out because it's been parodied and this and that. And my mom hadn't seen it Mm. because the monoculture has disappeared to an extent. Yeah. Huh? Wow. So I, I'm curious because you've, you mentioned the the devil and you're terrified of the devil. Were you, were you a scared kid growing up with, with horror films? Oh yeah. And I, I still am. Yeah. Oh really? Yeah, because I don't think if, if, and it, I would say I'm jaded to an extent because I've seen it so much. Right. But the last movie, and I saw it fairly recently that I'm like, I have a test where it's like, this was, this was a movie that legitimately scared me. And it's, if I go to bed and I have to turn around and I have to look in the corner to see if, the idea or the sound or the monster was there. The last movie that did that for me, hands down, was Lake fucking Mungo. Yeah. 
<laughs> because I swear, she's there. She's, that, she's just she's there. Alice is there. She's Alice just is everywhere. Vibing. Alice is vibing. She's just vibing. Alice, Alice tragically died. That's not a spoiler. It's the whole point of the movie. Um, but oh, that sorry. And Terry's, been, Terry's laughing at me. But the Lake Mungo is like lake. found footage movies like that. But the reason Lake Mungo works so well is because a it's done very realistically. You could see where I could see turning on TV in Australia and here's a documentary on Australia's version of Discovery Channel or, or ID Discovery where this show would be a thing. And yeah. the point of it is it's just, it's just her face. She's just looking at you. Just like that. And oh. it's sad. It's oh, sad. It's so sad. When, and it's so when, heartbreaking. Oh my god. When the mom says that, like, oh, I see parts of Allison where it's like, leave me alone, right? And and my daughter was was I started seeing that in my daughter. Yeah. Wait, Terry, hold on a second. <laughs> I can't remember. Have you seen this or you saw it and you didn't like it? Yeah, I saw it and I didn't like it. Well, Terry's well, because Terry's wrong. I love Terry <laughs> till the day I die, but he's wrong about this, and that's okay. His subjective opinion. Can I, I'm just curious. What did you not? Lo- so, you, did you give it a proper horror viewing? Lights off, sound up. No. So I I remember that's why you didn't like it. I remember thinking people were saying this is the scariest movie. This is the scariest movie, and I sat down yeah. to watch it. I was being I was bored. So <laughs> I need to like I need to revisit it because I was not I don't think it was in the right headspace. I was like expecting something different than what was given and I didn't approach it on its own. I, I mean, we might cover that at some point on the on our Patreon episode. And I'll, I will give it another watch. A big thing is proper viewing experience. You need to if you watch a movie, a horror movie, and I'm not talking a horror movie like. Have you guys seen Deadstream? Oh, yeah. yeah. So fucking stupid, funny, hilarious, right? First of all, I'd like to apologize to the minorities, right? Like just hilarious shit, right? Uh But not necessarily the horror movie where you need to 100% give it proper horror movie experience because that's more of a horror movie that you could watch with your friends and have drinks party. Mm -hmm. But Lake Mungo, lights off, sound off, ideally alone. Right? Dead silent, like, uh, dead silence, yeah. dark hat, noise canceling headphones on. Like immerse yeah. yourself in the oh, oh. Oh, what a what a funny stupid. That's true. <laughs> There's so many stupid. Like I I couldn't stop laughing during that whole movie. He he ah. Oh. He nails Go it. Go see Deadstream. Yeah, on watch Shutter. it on Shutter. We, we talked to we talked to the filmmakers on the podcast, and the way that he nails a certain kind of YouTuber, yeah, uh, is just it's perfect. It portrays the internet very authentically, and that it the, does. the the internet is very mean sometimes. Uh huh. Yeah. But okay. Okay. Nope. Go right ahead. I think we're probably gonna do the, the same fly. Thing. Yeah, <laughs> we're all the same. But yeah, so, I want to say, like, let's talk about The Fly now and hear about that story. Story Around the Fly, directed by feminist icon David Cronenberg. I'll come back to that. So <laughs> that was another movie where, again, I don't think it was on TV. I think my parents rented it and put it on. They loved it. But that was more just images sticking with me okay. just there's so many disgusting horrifying 
realistically portrayed images, whether it's the vomit drip on someone's body or Jeff Goldblum becoming Brundlefly that you can't get rid of, and in a nutshell, is done very matter-of-factly. Mm-hmm. And also, rewatching as a grown-up will make me cry. Yes! Because, like, I can't say too much, because I will start crying, but the part where the bathroom, Brundlefly, Gina Davis, and and she's like, I don't... I don't know what you're saying. I don't understand. She bursts into tears and runs out. She sees, um, what's his face? The schlebby ex-boyfriend. And she's like, no, I have to, I have, we have to go to the hospital tonight. I don't want it in my body. And she bursts. It's so matter of fact, coming back to the exorcist, right? A grown up movie that is matter of fact about things. Mm -hmm. And odd thing tying into that. The other day on Twitter, horror Twitter, a woman said she was at a film festival and she brought up that the last movie she really liked was Crimes of the Future. And this guy was like, I didn't like that. Must be a chick thing. And then it became an ongoing joke of, yeah, Cronenberg, you know, chick flick, oh, the fly chick flick, video Jerome, chick flick. Crash. Oh my god, Crash is 100% a chick flick. <laughs> chick flick, right? As a joke, because it's like, oh, it's not yeah. really a, a chick jo- I think technically the fly fails the Bechdel test, but regardless. <laughs> and so it became an ongoing joke. And then I tweeted, and this was before my Twitter following was that that big, but I tweeted... Oh, yeah, the other day I put on The Fly and my boyfriend is like, so we're going to watch, do we really have to watch The Fly by feminist icon David Cronenberg again? <laughs> but we I do. Love, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just start calling him that now. Just feminist yeah, icon. feminist icon David Cronenberg. And then the other day I was talking about <laughs> something. Let women fucking crash cars. That's what he does. Yes. He, he liberated well, us. Well. <laughs> Well, (laughs) sorry, sorry. But the other day I was talking with my mom and I brought up some, not even the fly. I just brought up flies and she's like, you know, that movie, the fly, I fucking love that movie. And I told her about how the whole in joke of him being a feminist icon. So your mom sounds like a badass. I love that your mom is just like Uh casually like, I love the fly. Oh yeah. I watched the Snowtown Snowtown murders. The cool suburban mom. But in many ways she's like... Because people for she's a baby boomer who's almost Gen X, like like mid sixties, right? So I mean, born in the mid sixties, not she's in her mid. Yeah. So she could have almost been Gen X, and people forget that generation was the first generation that was like weed. Yes. Why? Yeah. Why, why, thank you, sir. Let's get high as fuck all the time. And ever since it was legalized, she's done edibles, a, a grown up amount of edibles every night. <laughs> That's, That's amazing. Fucking cool. Wow. But because I'm such a goody two shoes, like I never touch the stuff anymore. <laughs> Your mom's cooler than you, Kyle. No, <laughs> yeah, evidently. <laughs> you know, it's Twin Peaks, Cronenberg, and Getting High. An Australian, like indie Australian movies about yeah, and the Snowtown horrendous murders. I'm just stuck on that one. That one makes that's incredible. That, yeah, that surprised me too. She's like, yeah, I've seen this. <laughs> oh what? <laughs> You know, it, it's it's funny because for the longest time, The Fly was the only David Cronenberg movie I had ever seen. I am still same woefully uh, 
missing a lot of Cronenberg, but I'm doing a side podcast where I'm watching all of his films. So I'm like getting to know his oeuvre, but like before, before like this last year, I had, I think I'd only seen three of his movies, the fly, which I'd seen so many times as a kid because the special effects were just, it's what I wanted as a kid. I was like, this is gooey. This is goopy. This is gory. I love it. Um, then it was the dead zone. And then it was, I, I always forget which one it was. It's whatever one has, uh, the bathroom fight with, uh, it's Eastern promises. Eastern. Yeah. Yeah. I get those two confused. I always forget which one it is. My husband and I had the same conversation, not a like not two weeks ago where he was like, what's the one where Viggo Mortensen is naked in the, (laughs) you'll have to be more specific. No, the Cronenberg one. Again, you will (laughs) have to be more. I was like, there's two. I think that is he, I haven't seen it. Is he naked in crimes of the future? I don't know if he, I think he's naked, but like not in like the full on naked fight way. Like just like, I'm a sick, sad boy kind of way. So it's not as evocative. Cronenberg is played a lot in Canada because a lot of his movies qualify what are called Canadian content rules, which are this movie um, was made in camp because Canadian broadcasters have to play a certain amount of Canadian content. So David Cronenberg would get played a lot. Same thing with Heavy Metal, the animated movie. Oh, yeah. Growing up, that was on all the fucking time because it it was that weird. And Canadian content has gotten better in the past decade. But growing up, there was not that much great Canadian content, save for a few exceptions like Heavy Metal, Black Christmas, and Cronenberg's early work. So, yeah. Hell yeah. History. Cinema. 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 Okay. Well, so do we want to start wrapping up and give Outer Space our rating out of five to wrap up? We've already given. Okay. okay. Do we want to move towards that? that do I good. go first or do you? We go first. You get the final word. Okay. So the first, we are going to have um, Terry go first. And uh, how many interlaced Barbara Hershey's, Terry, out of five do you give <laughs> Outer Space? You know, I this is an assault on the senses. I I when I first watched it, I was like, I don't even know what I'm going to say about this this movie when we we sit down and talk about it because there's just a lot of imagery, a lot of sound, a lot of a lot of stuff happening in a very short amount of time. It's just it's amazing to me how this takes scenes throughout. I think throughout most of the movie or dialogue and incorporates them into ten minutes that somehow is telling a cohesive story. It might take a little few viewings to like understand that story, but like there's a story here. And I was, I was so impressed with, um, finding out a lot of the filmmaking techniques behind all of this and his obsession with film, like film, not like digital media or whatever, but actual film stock. And I, I just, I watched it again right before we started recording just to like, I got to see this again and understand what's going on. And I, I fell in love with it. So I honestly, I'm gonna have to give it five interlaced Barbara Hershey's out of out of five. What about you, Mary Beth? I'm also gonna have to give it five. I also watched it right before. Oh and wow! I've never felt like a panic attack captured so well on yeah in film, and I think it's because he's not trying to shoot like shoot a woman having a panic attack. He's taking material from an already extremely disturbing movie and making it somehow even more disturbing and upsetting. 
And I, it's so impressive being able to do that. So again, I'm like, when I saw Timekeepers of Eternity, I was like, what can we really be doing here? And it's like, oh, I was so incorrect about like what you can do with that. And I think, especially seeing him describe himself as like a found footage artist, this also gives me like a whole new way of thinking about found footage and wanting to look at more in a found footage. And I think this 10 minute film has like opened my, my brain and that's why it gets five. It's incredible. So Kyle... You have the final word. I think I have know the yeah. answer, but like how I think, many <laughs> spoilers? So yeah, I will give it, I will give it I will give it five Barbara Hershey's out of five Perfect. because it's yeah, and or five interlock interlock Barbara, Barbara Hershey. Hershey. <laughs> she's uh, beaches. You know, beaches. I've never seen beaches. I'm tired. I'm tired. You're tired. Ti- what a sad. Oh. That's a sad movie. That's from Beaches at the end where she says to the kid and she's done. I'm tired. Work. No, wait. Bette Midler. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> beaches. Beaches. Fucking Beaches. Fucking Beaches. beaches. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, <laughs> thank you so much, Kyle, for bringing us the smorgasbord, including uh, outer space. Where can our listeners find you? And the floor is yours. What do you want to, t- what do you have to talk about? What's coming? Do you have anything coming up that you're going to be working on next? And whatever uh, you want to talk about. I'll, I'll be writing something, but after Skinnamarink comes out, I'll be, there'll be, there'll be a quiet period fo- followed by, 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 by another. But, um, so go to skinnamarink.com to find tickets if you live in the United States. If you live in Canada, check your local listings. We're playing in um, most of the major markets in Canada, save for some, I'm sorry. And we are also playing at the New Farm Cinemas in Brisbane, Australia. And... Uh, Prince Charles Theatre, we have a week-long run at the Prince Charles Theatre in London, and also, I believe it's called the Mockingbird Cinema in Birmingham, UK. Hell yeah! Wow. Wow. In theatres everywhere, January 13th. I'm going to isolate that, just you saying that. Um, but is <laughs> not yet rated. <laughs> well, listeners, you have heard from us. We want to hear from you. Have you seen Outer Space and have thoughts? Um, we would love to hear them. You can send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com, or you can reach out to us on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. <laughs> and I'm a gaily dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. And if you want to help support us, go out to our Patreon. We got a lot of content there. We do. Thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. <laughs> powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. 
Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.